Solomon chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2, and I want to read verses 8 through 17, the Song of Solomon chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. This morning from the NIV version so if you are reading a different version you will find the verbiage to be somewhat different Song of Solomon chapter 2 beginning at verse 8 listen my lover look here he comes leaping across the mountains bouncing over the hills my lover is like a gazelle or a young stag look there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the latest. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past, and the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooling of the doves is heard in our land fig trees forms its early fruit the blossoming vines spread their fragrance arise come my darling my beautiful one come with me my dove in the cliffs of the rock in the hiding places of the mountainside show me your face let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged hills of the mountain. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, throughout this book is the focus of a poetic narrative, one that is utilizing the power and the strength of metaphorical and allegorical language. And so what we hear throughout this second chapter again is the writer depicting a love relationship between a man and a woman, the king and his choice bride, but also empowered in this narrative, particularly in verses 8 through 17, is a practice to which is most known in the African cultural tradition. And that is the reason why I've called this section of the text, the call, the power of the call and response, the power of the call and response. As I alluded to, it's most evident in the American culture, in the worship experience of the African-American tradition. It has deep historical roots that traced itself back to the early beginnings, particularly around the Bush Harbor gatherings in the woods by the former slaves. 
call and response in the black church is preeminent in worship because it involves participation by both pulpit and pew. The preacher conveys a thought, the congregation confirms by an amen, preach, reverend, hallelujah, a confirmation that assures that what's being conveyed is identifying with the spirit. The call was the summons by the narrating voice who speaks on behalf of the narrator or the narrative to convey in the historical oral tradition of African culture a truth, a principle, a instruction with a pause. And the pause is the moment to which the recipient of that truth gets to respond with a confirming voice. There is a response to the call of the voice in the text because the voice is alive. There is no call and response when death is present, but when the narrator's voice is alive, there is a response because the alive voice is inviting and it is stirring to the recipient who hears the language. It is active because the voice speaks not merely in reference to futuristic aspects, but most pointedly in the existential moment of the now. The voice is alive, but is active because it speaks to now where the recipient lives. That's what makes the call and response so preeminent because it's not just something spoken about the heavens, but it's spoken about a God who speaks in the now. And the response is a confirmation because they're living witnesses that God speaks now where they are. It's not only active and alive, but it's an adaptable voice. It's adaptable because the narrator speaks the language of the listener and where they are, the words spoken become relevant because it speaks to the experience to which they are encountering. It's alive, it's active, it's adaptable because when the recipient hears the word from the voice, the voice excites it and brings it some sense of confirmation because in its adapting mode, no matter where the recipient is, in the house, outside the house, uptown, downtown, outside, inside, the voice can adapt to where you are. It can speak loud or it can speak softly. Wherever you are, the voice can adapt but it's also allegorical. The voice has the power to paint a picture by telling a story. In fact, when you read the gospels, this is what makes Jesus such a preeminent preacher that he's able to speak truth by painting pictures, by using everyday circumstance and objects to teach a lesson in reference to the kingdom of God. 
One of the great things about early black preachers was, this is before we became educated, they were able to use the gospel and paint pictures that made you see as if you were actually in the moment in which the picture was being painted. They had a way of talking about Daniel in the lion's den that really made you feel like you were there beside Daniel in the lion's den. They did not philosophize the text. They didn't use theological terms. They just simply used their imagination and began to paint the picture. And graciously, what happens in a narrative is when it's really attractive and inviting, one can almost see themselves in the narrative as if they are a premier character playing out their part in the narrative. But the voice is not just active. The voice is not just alive. The voice is not just adaptable. The voice is not just allegorical. But here's the shouting point. The voice is acquitting. The voice says words that set you free. The voice carries the power to release us from the bondages or from the chains and from the prisons we often find ourselves in. For Jesus made clear how powerful the voice in its words can be. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's a shouting point right there. You miss your cue to shout. If you think about if the Son has set you free, that should have been enough right there to draw out of you a response of celebration because the made clear that the sons set free. And if you know the son, maybe that's part of the problem, you may not know the son, but if you know the son, when you know that the son has set you free, can't nobody stop you from responding because the call touch your soul and your soul in return is alive because of the son. The son in his speaking is active and because he's active, he's in return created an adaptability where he found you where you were. And so when the call went out whom the son sets free, you are free indeed. I know I'm free because the father through his son in the call where I was set me free. There's your shouting point again. You missed it. He found you where you were, adapted to the circumstance where you were, and allowed you to see that the son wanted you to be set free. And when he did that, he created a joy on the inside of your soul. So now when you hear the call, you ought to be able to shout and praise God because he has set you free. The voice sets free. Ask the woman at the well in John 4 and she will tell you that when I conversed with that voice, that voice made a comment to me and the comment was, if you had asked me, for the drink of water, I would have given you water that would well up into everlasting life. And her response was to go back to town and tell everyone, come see a man who told me about everything 
that I have done. If you want to know if the son really sets you free, ask the man of John 5 who has been sitting in one condition for 30 and 8 years and the son comes along and tells him, take up your bed and walk and read the text. It says immediately the man was healed. That's a response that all of us should be shouting about when he came along and told us to take up our bed graciously my response was yes Lord I want to be made whole and the text says immediately he was healed of his malady asked Lazarus in John 11 and Lazarus heard the call Lazarus come forth and the response was that Lazarus came out of the tomb and there any of those witnesses can tell you that Jesus set them free by the mere speaking of his voice. Our text, our text this morning suggests particularly in verse 8 that the woman is responding to the call of her lover. She knows his voice. It's the voice, watch this, that has erased her past. Man, that's shouting news right there. It's the voice that remember in her past she had issues she had issues with the color of her skin she had issues with the composition of her body but this lover came along with a voice and spoke truth to her and gave confirmation and as a result now when the lover's voice is heard she remembers with great joy how her lover has erased her past and I don't know about you when I hear the name of Jesus I've got to remember how he erased my past everyone else wants to remember my past but he erased my past that's your shouting point right there you missed it again if you think about all that you have done and what he has set you free from and yet he erased your past when you hear the voice of your lover calling the voice of Jesus calling I'm responding because he not only erased my past, but he reassures me in the present. She's responding because he erased her past, but he gave her reassurance in the presence that she was the bomb. She was the woman of his eyes. She was the apple of his eyes. She was gorgeous. She was beautiful. She was all that and a bag of chips. She was excited about the fact that the voice that spoke erased her past and reassured her in the present but he not only did that but he confirmed her future read chapter 1 verse 9 through 10 he affirmed her future that she had a future and I'm I'm so excited because I know that no matter what the past might have said and even what the present might be trying to say God has made clear that the future is there for you if you are willing to hold on to the voice to the voice now the voice has come calling Look at verse 8, the voice has come calling and she says, listen, my lover, I like translation says, listen, my voice is calling me, my lover is calling me. She remembered that his voice and she remembered that his vigor gave her an extreme presence 
of aggression. Look at verse 8, but look also at verse 8 and 9. Says the text, listen to how she describes his aggression. Look, here he comes. Here he comes leaping across the mountains and bounding over the hills looking like a gazelle or a young stag. Look at what she says. She's looking at this metaphorical language. She's painting that picture. She says he's leaping over mountains and his swiftness is moving about and look at verse 9 he confronts the wall that separates us yet he's looking within the window just to see where I am that's what I love about God he he will come right where you are and no matter what the condition is no matter what attempts to separate us he will look through to make sure that you are where you are and he stands and sees us not as splendid and fragmented but as whole individuals see God never sees you as you see yourself God never sees us as other people sees us they see us fragmented and broken and almost to a space of despondency but God sees us in the wholeness because God cannot look at us without seeing us through the lens of his son Jesus and when he sees Jesus he sees wholeness he sees resurrection. He sees restoration. He sees my sin covered by the blood of the lamb. He sees past all gone. Although the brethren, Satan tries to become the accuser of the brethren and tries to bring up my past. Thank God my big brother always stands up at the judgment seat of Christ and lets the father know he's covered under the blood. Anybody glad that you are covered under the blood? Whenever Satan tries to bring up your past, Jesus stands up and says, that's all in the past. My blood is covered at. No matter how dark your past is, it's covered by the blood. No matter how awful it is, it's covered by the blood. No matter how angry it may, it's covered by the blood. And my big brother, my elder brother, my savior stands up and reminds the father that person is covered under the blood she hears his voice and his voice reassures her and his voice is confronting and his voice sees her and yet that voice is the very voice that was vigorously pursuing us at a space called Calvary. It's there where Jesus takes on all of humanity's aggression and all of humanity's ill and all that the devil had to give. He gave it all at Calvary. And what did Jesus do? He stood there and peeped behind the veil and ripped the veil down in the temple and the wall that separated us now has made us whole because the Father cannot see us as splintered individuals. Not in him. He can't see splendor in him. All he can see is wholeness in himself. But it gets better. In verse 10, she says that the, that the lover has called her to a renewed life. 
It might be suggested, as some scholars say, that the scene between verse 7 and 8 has changed and we are no longer in the palace, in the grandeur, in the comfort of the king's palace. We are now back out in the countryside where the young lady lives, the Shulamite woman lives, but yet something has caused her spirit to become despondent. Her life now has become a bit of a disappointment. It could be that she hasn't heard from her lover in a long time and now she feels so distant and so disorganized to some degree that she needs reorienting and here it comes. Her lover shows up with his voice and cries out for her in verse 10 to come out and experience a renewed life. Anybody ever been there where you felt like God has almost vacated the throne you've been praying you've been seeking the face of God you've been crying out and nothing has come from heaven it's as if heaven has cut you off and then all of a sudden when you think that all was lost that all was gone that heaven has shut the door a voice comes out from glory to remind you this is my beloved son this is my child that's an interesting word because the same word that's used there is the very used word that God uses to reassure us that he not only never leaves us nor forsakes us but he comes to reassure us even though heaven might have a moment of silence but he calls her out in verse 10 and says to her look at the words arise my darling, could God of my, that's joy right there. Arise, my dear. Arise, sweetheart. Arise with your gorgeous self. Come out from where you are. Don't stay in darkness. Don't stay in disappointment. Don't stay in distance. Don't stay in despondency. But come out from where you are. That's God's way of telling us, I know you've fallen down. And I know sometimes life knocks you down. But whatever happens, you always get back up. Because the voice says, arise, my child, and come back from where you are. The text, the text might suggest that in between the moments of the narrative development, life took her down, gave her a twisted moment, turned her highs into lows, turned her lights and begins to dim them, turned her good into bad, and now she's disappointed, she is despaired, she is reaching in doubt, and yet her lover comes, verse 10, and says, arise, my beautiful one, and look what he says, come with me. That's, that's shouting news right there for her because he is inviting her out of her dark space to come with him that she might now re-enter the space of life, a renewed life. There ought to be some shouting folk in here this morning who can remember how God called you out of that dark space where you were and told you to come him. You heard those words from Jesus, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for you will be meek and lowly in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and be with me. There ought to be some joy now that he called you out of a dark space 
face and told you to come and be with him. But it gets even better than that. Look at verse 11. He not only calls her to a renewed life, verse 10, but look at verse 11. He calls her to re-examine her condition. Look what it says. My lover spoke to me and he said, come my darling, come my beautiful one, come with me. Verse 11, see, look, re-examine where you are. Instead, look through a different set of lenses. Look where you are. Look what he says. Look at the metaphorical language. Now watch what he does now because again, remember it's poetry, but he's painting a picture. Look what he says. The winter has passed and the rains are gone and they are over and the flowers now are beginning to bloom. And the season of singing by the birds are here. And the cooing of the doves can be heard in the land. And the fig trees now are forming their fruit. And the blossoming of the vines are beginning to spread and bring forth their fragrance. And look at the last line of verse 13. Once again, the invitation, come. Come, my love, arise from where you are and see yourself in the newness of life. Re-examine. And maybe God is trying to tell somebody this morning, I'm calling you out of that dark space where you are, but I'm also challenging you to re-examine, re-look your life. Don't look through the lens of doubt. Don't look through the lens of frustration. Don't look through the lens of anger. Don't look through the lens of agony, but look your life through the lens of hope. Look your life through the lens of power, of regeneration, of restoration, of resurrection. See your life in a new set of lens. Look what he said. He's calling her out of, here it is, seclusion. And what do we do whenever life throws up a curve sometime and we don't know how to handle it? We run and hide in, in seclusion. And there may be the suggestion that whatever it was that changed her life, she decided to seclude herself away. And her lover came by and said, oh, you are not going to run from life's trouble. You are not going to run because life's thrown you a curveball. You are not going to run because the road got tough. You are not going to run because it started in the rain you are not going to run because there's power that's beginning to try to overcome your life look what he says the winter has passed I don't know if you know it or not he says but all that stuff has gone past your life and somebody I hope catches it this morning that God is saying all that trouble that you've been crying about it's already passed there is a new day starting to occur and he's speaking about the transition from winter to spring Look what he says when he talks about, he says now flowers are starting to bloom and the birds are starting to sing. He's suggesting that springtime now is beginning to come into your life. In other words, a newness of life is beginning to form and whenever spring comes what happened the trees start to bring forth their leaves and the grass begins to grow once again and flowers begin to rebud and we see the freshness of new life and maybe God is trying to tell you this morning stop letting 
laying down in the winter of your life, in the rain of your life, in the agony, and start listening to the call of God. Come out from where you are, my dear. Arise and walk in the newness of life. But then it gets better than that. Look what it says in verse 14. Uh, it looks as if not only did she hear the voice, but the voice, once again, is calling her to another level of response. Look what he says. My dove is in the clefts of the rock, hiding places on the mountainside. And look what he says. Show me your face translation I know that the week has been tough and I know that the hill has been difficult to climb and I know that you feel like it's Sunday morning and you want to stay in but God says come on to church and show your face I want to see you in the house of worship I want to see you where I can look you in the eye and I can begin to commune and restore your soul look what he says in this metaphorical he says show your face face why because your voice is sweet and your face is lovely God says not only do I want to see your face because it's lovely but I want to hear your voice bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name let everything that hath breath praise the Lord God says I want to hear your voice in adoration because it sounds sweet. But Lord, my voice has been crippled by the agonies of life. Cry out. Go ahead and cry. In fact, your cry sounds so sweet that I'll turn your cry into a praise. And there might be somebody here today who know that you came to church Sunday heavily burdened one of these times and you were so overwhelmed and it was a cry. But yet God in the sweetness of his grace turned that cry into a praise. And the lover is inviting her to come out from where she is. Don't hide yourself behind the rocks. But come out from the cleft. And I want to see your lovely I'm going to skip verse 15 because verse 15 is a sermon all by itself. And I've reserved that for another Sunday. But I'll give you a hint. Verse 15 says you got to pay attention to obstacles that will keep you from showing your face. When it talks about catching the foxes. Because the foxes were known in their time to roam in the vineyard, particularly when the grapes were beginning to fruit to be fruitful and they were beginning to grow. They were roaming through the fields to steal the grapes. And don't you know that Peter tells us there's somebody who's roaming like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may defile. He may be able to steal your joy and steal your fruit and steal your stability and steal your shout. That's reason why some of us stay home and when we stay home and don't come to celebrate God and look for God's restoring power we have actually allowed the fox to come into the vineyard and steal our chance to have joy but I got to save that for another sermon because it's another good sermon. It's another long sermon. I can't tell you right now. But he says not only watch the foxes, but now she's going to respond 
Remember, I tell you, this is a power of call and response. The lover has been calling. Now she's going to respond. Look what she says. Look what she says. He called her. He called her to a renewed life. He called her to reexamine her condition. But watch this. He also called her and she responds. Look what it says. Look at verse uh, 16. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn my lover and be like a gazelle to me, a young stag on the rugged hills. Now watch this. Remember I told you last week, I can't tell you everything because there's a sensual side to the text and then there's a sacred side to the text. I'm only going to give you the sacred because I know the sensual is just too much for y'all to handle. But if I had to tell you what it was, she's really telling him in verse 16 and 17, whatever you do, come back and see me and don't leave me until the early morning hour. Keep me up all night night long whatever it takes to love me through the storm love me through that storm because your loving is so good I just don't want you to leave me I know that's too strong for some of y'all but listen to me here's the spiritual side whenever God comes to see you it's all right to tell them Lord whatever you do don't leave me stay here all night long and love me through this pain and love me through this storm and love me through this difficulty and love me up this here why because because it's the, something about the call and response. When he calls, I'm willing to answer. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy today that he called me early this morning. And because he called me, I'm responding to what the lover has to say unto me. Is there anybody else who recognized God called you early this morning when he woke you up and gave you the breath of life? When he called you and led you on your way, he called you to come out to the space of worship he called you to bless the Lord at all times he called you and the way you respond is to lift up your heads O ye gates and be ye lifted up your everlasting Lord and the king of glory your lover will come in who is this king of glory he is the Lord God almighty my friend when there's no friend my light when there's darkness my hope when there's there is no hope. My peace whenever a storm is arising he will call. All he wants you to do is respond. Do I have any responders in the house this morning? Yeah, that's what she says. She said he's mine and I am his. Tell me that ain't a lover's work right there. He's mine and I am his. Remember when I told you there's a sensual side and there's a sacred side. I ain't giving you the sensual what that means because if I told you it will mess around and turn this church upside down. But here's the sacred spot. He's mine and I am his. She said that I know that his eye is only on me. I've got his mind totally occupied. No one else can fill in that spot. And when he thinks of me, all of his testosterones begin to run in rapid pace. And all he wants to do is get to where I am. 
That's the sensual side. Y'all leave that alone. Let's go to the sacred side. He loves me so much. I am his and he is mine that on one good Friday, he made it clear how much he loved me. And not only did he die, but he made it clear he loved me so much that he didn't leave me by myself. Early one Sunday morning, he got up to declare that he has all power to come back and remind me that he wouldn't leave me all by myself where I was. He calls, and we got to respond. This reason why the black church, this should never be a quiet black church. I can't understand a quiet black church because in the tradition of our African heritage, when the African medicine doctor would play or someone would play the drum, there's always a response because there's a message in the playing of the drum. And I can't understand why we took on this European aspect of being quiet in worship and looking docile whenever you got to remember the God who woke you up is never docile or quiet but he's always making noise in your life now why we took on that docile kind of attitude trying to be erudite as if we are more than the God to whom we serve don't you know that if God just for a single second decided to withdraw his grace we would all come to recognize how much noise we really do need to make when we start crying out father I stretch my hands under thee that should never be a quiet moment in the church when the call, the word goes out, there ought to be a response. Uh, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they haven't forgotten it. That's why every time, I mean, I just think if the preacher breathes, they say amen. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what happens. They say, but I, I think the joy is they won't lose the response because the response infused something on the inside of them. And this lady was excited that her man come and found her where she was in her dark moment. And I just believe there's some folk in here this morning when you start thinking about where God came and found you in your dark moment and didn't leave you there. But sat right there with you and nursed you through and nursed you back to the fullness of life. This text reminds us that God calls and there is an expectation that we will respond. Lord, thank you for the word this morning out of the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 2.